Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Let's Talk Tribe. This is your host, Jason Lucart. This is an early in the week special edition on account of the Indians being in the effing playoffs. Uh, we've got the wild card game tomorrow night with the Rays, and uh, it's the first time in six years, as you know, the Indians have been in the playoffs, so it's an exciting time for all of us Tribe fans. Uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the intro. I don't think you need to run down on what's been going down lately. Uh, I'd rather just get to my guests. That's right, guests this week for the first time. I'm going to try out having a couple people on with me at once, and I'm hoping it ends with the three of us all shouting angrily at one another. Uh, one of the guests this week is uh, Let's Go Tribe's editor, Ryan Richards, who's joined me two or three times before. And my second guest this week is a former editor for Let's Go Tribe, an erstwhile writer and moderator. He's currently an editor for sportsonearth.com, among three or four other jobs. And uh, so in addition to Ryan and I, this week, I've got Jay Levine with us. Ryan, Jay, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Jason. Hey. So, uh, playoffs in the first in a while. Where would, you, where would you put your excitement level? Uh, I guess I, maybe I need a direct question now. Uh, Ryan, you first. Where would you rank your excitement compared to other playoff seasons? Other playoff seasons? Well, there's not many to compare with. Um, I guess compared to 2000, 2007, um, I, I guess I, I, it's, it's six years ago, so it's kind of hard to go back and remember that far. But uh, I'm definitely excited about this one because this one came from nowhere um, because, you know, this season is supposed to be, uh, they might be okay and they'll be 500 and we'll, you know, basically figure out how our fix our pitching staff all season. And all of a sudden they, they got pretty awesome and they run 10 in a row, which is an un-Cleveland thing to do. And now they're in the playoffs and, you know, who knows where this will end. So I'm, I'm really excited. Jay, how about you? Do you have the same kind of, I mean, I don't know how old either you guys are. Do you still have the same kind of, you know, excitement you had when you were younger about it? Have you have you mellowed? Um, how are you feeling? Um, I, I've I've definitely mellowed a little bit, and I and I think I might be withholding a little bit too. I mean, in part because um, you know what I feel is I'm 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 very proud of this of this club and this organization right now, and I'm uh, and I'm sort of appreciating what they've already accomplished. You know, and and that's that's which, you know, I feel like there's been a history in past seasons where the fans have ended up not appreciating how far the team had come and only remembering the last thing that happens, which, you know, obviously for 29 out of 30 teams, the last thing that happens isn't something good. Um, right. So uh, so at the moment, I'm just sort of savoring what we've just seen, which I think was amazing. And as for being excited about what's about to come, I mean, it might be that I've gotten older, but it's also just it's sort of inherent in the format. That now we've got this this one game playoff, followed by a short series in the wild card, and so like it really seems kind of iffy to sort of see like that. Do they really have a chance for a deep run this year? I mean, obviously anything can happen in a short series, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. So I think for me, it's sort of like I, I don't know if I'm going to get really excited until they win a division series game. You know, like until then, it's just sort of like this is really great, but it's a little bit of a lark. Um, so. It's not that I'm not excited, but there's there's no way that I'm as uh, as energized as I was six years ago when we rolled into the playoffs, you know, bloodthirsty to really trash the Yankees, 
with arguably the two best pitchers in the league and the best record in the league. It's not quite like that, but at the same time, you know, it's it's hard not to be really impressed with what the club's already accomplished. So, Jay, going back to that, you know, the, the wild card game, sort of the one game play, and there's some debate, does this really count as the playoffs or not? Um, if you were in charge and you can't change the number of teams, you can't change, you know, there's three divisions, five teams each, but within that setup, uh, do you prefer the two wild cards with the one game plan, or did you like it the old way, the, the semi-old way with just the one wild card going straight to the division round? Um, I, I have to say, if you asked me before, you know, the Indians found themselves, you know, as the fourth seed, um, I probably would have said that I prefer it this way. Uh, I like the idea that there's something a little bit punitive about not winning your division, even though, you know, the, the counter-argument to me is not not that the Indians are the fourth seed and it would be nice if we didn't have to go through this one-game nonsense, but the counter-argument is that, you know, this year in both leagues, the wild-card team is the fourth seed. The first, You know, the, the wild-card teams are the fourth and fifth seed. But in right. most years, the wild card team, the wild card team would be the second or third seed if you went strictly by, you know, by regular season record. So, you know, it it, it doesn't, you know, most years the wild card team doesn't really de- deserve to be penalized by going through a one game playoff. Um, this year, yeah, it, it, it feels like, uh, you know, the right penalty for the right reasons. But in most years, it's not going to work out like this. In most years, you know, possibly. Both wild card teams will be like the second and fourth seed, second even the second and third seeds. So you can see the second and third best team in the league penalized and having to go through a gauntlet that the fourth and fifth best teams don't have to. So I mean, but look, it's problematic any way you slice it. You know, my my radical uh, suggestion was to go back to uh, was was to go back to ten team leagues and have three of them in one wild card, but nobody's going to do that. So <laughs> um, I wrote a post today about uh, a pretty large number of off-season acquisitions the Indians had that ended up playing a bit, pretty big role. And, you know, guys like Swisher and Bourne, uh, that was sort of expected. And if, if anything, Bourne especially is maybe is underperformed. Uh, but then you have guys like Rayburn and, uh, and Kazmir, who I think no one could have asked for this kind of production. Uh, and, and I included a poll about who's been the biggest addition. And in a landslide, Terry Francona's winning. Um, Ryan, what uh, you know? I was saying last night to some people. I don't. I don't know how much you can measure it, but how big an impact do you think Francona's been? Whether it's through bringing free agents in or X's and O's, whatever, whatever the case. What do you think he's meant for the team? <laughs> That's always tough to say because you're not privy to what goes on in the clubhouse, but uh, you kind of have a, a a larger contrast between you know Maniac last year and. Terry Francona this year, even looking at things from the outside, uh, obviously you, you don't know what how managers are perceived by the players except through interviews. And most of the time, they're 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 going to you know err on the side of you know removing criticism from the remarks. But just err on the side of from, being not actually. Yeah, just, just from the side of of not being critical. You know, if someone last year would have asked them about act as manager, they're they're going to pull their punches. So you're not going to know what they really feel. But for you know, but for Fancona, it's been so overwhelmingly positive that it has yeah. to have he had to have some effect on this team, just beyond the X's and O's. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think you know people have been talking about him as a manager of the year candidate. Um, 
And it always seems like that a vote that that award largely gets voted on based on which team exceeds preseason expectations. And maybe the fact is people were just, you know, off base on what they expected from the team. Uh, but I also don't know, you know, what you should judge it on, uh, you know, without being in the locker room and really knowing. Um, but I feel like the, well, the Indians, you know, the record in close games has been really good. There's a lot of guys in partial playing time, like Rayburn. Uh, I feel like a lot of the different factors you would try to use to quantify a manager's performance, the Indians have showed up really well. Um, well, and, and, and part and and part of that, um, sorry, breaking in, um, yeah. is kind of how getting the most out of a player, even if he's limited. So, like Ryan Rayburn, for instance. I think if the, if Francona would have just tried to ride a hot hand and played Rayburn every day, I don't think he would have lasted the whole season, at least playing that well. And and just recognizing that and sticking to the plan, even when it would be easy to stick with him, playing in the right field every day or whatever, I mean, that's a big deal. you know. And, and basically going to Carlos Santana and saying, Carlos, you're not this catcher anymore, and being able to have him, Carlos, be okay with it, I mean, you can't discount that either. So being right. able to convince players to take a role they might not be completely comfortable with and, make, and then having them see that role, that's what really makes a big difference. And he's he's really, you know, been masterful at that. Jay, I was going to ask, you know, going back to Francona and when he was in Boston, uh, you know, he won two World Series and then his time there ended with, sort of an epic collapse at the end of the season. And then all these stories about, oh, you know, the, the fried chicken and beer stuff. Um, nonsense, legitimate. Uh, do you think that kind of stuff is, is real? Do, do managers lose the clubhouse? Do you think Francona lost the clubhouse in Boston? Um, I mean, I, I, it's, obviously that's kind of impossible to say, but I, I do think that, you know, look, there, there's obviously some, some unfairness that, that, that goes along with any managers and coaches, you know, we will never know what Manny Acta does with a team uh, that has the benefit of, you know, of, of Swisher and Bourne and, uh, you know, and, and for that matter, you know, the, everyone, the entire goon squad, you know, like we, we'll, we'll never know, you know, what happens if he's given a team with that kind of injection of high quality talent. Um or at the same time, you know, so so we don't know if the goon squad even becomes the goon squad under active, you know. So by the same token, everything that happened to Francona, you know, obviously a lot of what happened in Boston had nothing to do with him. But at the same time, I think it's clear even from his own statements that he was burnt out and that he would not claim to have been as capable of, of doing a high-quality managing job in his final season there as he had been in earlier seasons. And... You know, I I think that um, a lot of times in relationships in general, people start to take other people for granted, you know, and and influence, you know, there can be a curve of influence where somebody does a good job and becomes more influential over a period of a few years and then has success, is celebrated, but then things start to wane just because people get impatient and and start to take people for granted. So uh, I'm sure that some of that happened in Boston, and... um, you know, I'm, I'm equally sure that none of it matters anymore. You know, uh, a lot of what, what Ryan was saying about, you know, the deployment of players like Rayburn or Santana, a lot of it comes down to confidence. And you see this from Joe Madden as well. You, what you see is guys who have the confidence 
to keep on doing the right thing, what they see as the right thing, um, without worrying about what the reaction is going to be uh, from the media and to an extent from the players. Because what matters for the players is the player has to believe that you're doing it for the right reasons. If the player doesn't believe that he's getting a fair shake, if the player starts to believe that you're making moves for reasons that are personal rather than uh, in the best interest of the team, you know, because winning is the bottom line for all these guys. As long as uh, the player believes that you're doing things for the right reason, you're not going to lose that player. You know, if he's a player worth, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, accepting a guy like Milton Bradley or something right. like that. But, I mean, in Bradley's case, you know, the issue with Bradley is that, you know, with a player like that, is that um, he's very you're doing things for the wrong reason. So even in his case, it really comes down to the players having faith that you're making decisions with the right idea in mind. And that's when we talk about leadership and we talk about, uh, you know, heck culture where, you know, everybody is really about winning. That's what the manager has to the manager has to have confidence. And, you know, obviously Francona does, you know. So whatever happened in Boston, it sure, sure doesn't seem to matter anymore. Um I look at Francona, and and not just Francona, but to an extent even Swisher and even Giambi and Bourne to an extent, and say, like, you know, it's one thing to look and say how many wins above what these guys represent in terms of stance. And it's another yeah. thing just to sort of, yeah. after a crushing defeat like being swept by Detroit in early, in early August, or even significant defeats later and losing Masterson, you know, how, how do you get a team to go on a torrid winning streak after all of that? You know, and I don't think that you do unless the manager has a history of winning and unless the, uh, you know, there are players around who expect to win and who expect to still go out there and have a great attitude and try to win every day. I don't think that we can discount the kind of culture that was in the clubhouse this year in picking up a team that, I mean, the team was, they were done. I was done. I don't know about you guys. I was done. I was like, they're done. They, not only are they not going to win, they don't deserve to win. But obviously what Francona and the leaders in the clubhouse were was not. Yeah. I remember yeah. speaking of, you know, feeling like the team is done. Uh, there was, I don't remember quite when it was, probably early September. And, you know, Ryan's been writing the recaps for the games all year. And for whatever reason, you know, I was filling in for him one night. And I remember going into the game thinking, if they lose tonight, the season's over, and I'm going to write my first recap of the year, and it's going to be an obituary for the team. And they ended up winning that game, and you know, I talked myself off the ledge, and, and, and here we are a few weeks later. Uh, but I think you're right. I mean, there were a lot of times uh, when, you know, whether people did or didn't write them off, it would have been, I think, sort of understandable to. They were, they were in a position where not many teams come back from. Uh, yeah, I think he's had a really big impact. Um, Ryan, if we talk about the players, which of the players who were brought in for this year, either through trade or free agency, do you think has had the biggest impact, either just by being the best player of them or, you know, whatever intangibles you'd want to – which one would you single out? I never thought I'd say this at the end of the year, but Jan Gomes. I mean, both both if you look at the, the, the value he's brought to the table um, – but from the positional um, improvements they made in other areas. Um, because at the beginning of the year, in the mid part of this year, Mark Reynolds was a DH, and, and he was pretty much on, in the process of flaming out. And what they did is put 
Jan Gomes at catcher, and they immediately became a better defensive team. And they put Carlos Santana at DH, and they immediately took uh, Reynolds and, to some extent, Giambi on the lineup, and they became a better offensive team. So, yeah, so although they spent all the money on Swisher and Bourne, and they've been okay, but they haven't, you know, shown market improvements over, you know, that, what expectations were. But Jan Gomes, my goodness, <laughs> he, he, yeah. him coming to the lineup will probably change the season right there. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think back yeah. to that trade. I, I, Go ahead, Jay. Well, I was I was going to say the same. I was like, I I don't see how you can point to a single offseason move as being bigger than that trade. That's I mean, how, how do you even compare anything else to it? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the trade. I mean, again, as I was, I was putting that post together, looking at all of the moves from the last offseason, and I, mean, I can think back to when that trade went back, and I'm sure I said, if not in a post, in the comments, like, get over it. I mean, there are, there are you know, readers at Let's Go Tribe who are bent out of shape about losing Rodgers, and I was, it wasn't <laughs> that I thought it was a bad deal. I just thought it was a, this isn't worth getting worked up about deal. Um and, you know, when he, he was playing pretty well in limited time early in the year, and I was happy for that, but it sort of felt like, you know, he's going to regress. He's certainly a better defensive catcher than Santana, and that's nice. Um, but he just never regressed. And, I mean, his hitting, I think if you look at catchers, uh, you know, if you, you count Santana, his offenses have been a little better. And I think it's Joe Maurer and Buster Posey. Those are the only guys with better offense. And on defense, I mean, you're looking at, like, Yadier Molina and – you know, maybe there's another guy out there I'm forgetting at the moment, but he's he's been a top five guy both ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember a single player in the whole time I've been following the Indians who's gone from someone I was thinking absolutely nothing of to candidate for team MVP. And I think uh, that's, 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 a, that's a good uh, question. I'm going to ponder that. The team MVP, please do. <laughs> um, no, no, and while you no. ponder that. Just coming back to the, you know, moving Santana to DH, or, you know, he's played first base a decent amount, too, uh, you know, on days when Swisher can then DH. I think that's been a big boon for the Indians is just the roster flexibility. I feel like they've had much better depth. They've had backups you could feel okay about starting once or twice a week, and they've had guys who can shift positions. You know, Bourne came in, and he hasn't been great, but he, he allowed Brantley to go back to left field. Um, I don't know. I mean, for my part, I think it's been – it's basically like having a 26th roster spot to like to to be able to have your DH first baseman also be your backup catcher. I mean, otherwise yeah. you you are forced to spend an entire roster spot on a backup catcher. And if you don't have to do that, if it can just be a guy who's already on the roster anyway, it's just free roster spot. It's it's kind of amazing. And I don't know yeah. why they didn't do it more with Vic this year. You know. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and you look at if things had played out a little differently, and if you've got Lou Marson on the roster all year instead of, say, Rayburn, you lose his hitting. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, that's two or three wins probably. And that's, yeah. yeah that's and, and, and given how Francona loves his relievers, I mean, they would have gone with a three-man bench with Jason Giambi, one of the bench players, and you know, what are you left with? Right. Yeah. You're left with uh, Avilas and, you know, Raber maybe so, so yeah, definitely the bench should also be kind of kind of go. I guess you lump in Gomes with the bench as part of the flexibility of allowing you to kind of get over losing Michael Warren for for a month, or you know 
dealing with Mike uh, Mark Reynolds, you know, just flaming out in the middle of the year and deal yeah. with that without really having to get anyone from the minors because there's no one from the minors to get. Uh, they're okay. only really call up two call ups with Matt Carson. Obviously, he's <laughs> widely exceeded expectations, which which weren't that much to begin with, and. Jose Ramirez, <laughs> who's basically a glorified pinch runner right now. So right. isn't Jordan isn't Jordan Brown still down there somewhere? He <laughs> you see somewhere else, I think. I've been, I've been away from the site. I've been away from the site for a year or two. So I, I, I've lost track of Jordan Brown, which was the most well. But Trevor Crow and uh, David Huff are still in the majors, and they face <laughs> each other yeah. on on Sunday, I think. It was. Yeah. I, I have really, to say, I really. I really enjoyed seeing David Huff have a horrible time of things for the Yankees. That was a, a beautiful thing. Was that more beautiful? Right, Jim, than coming back to your team MVP, you've had three minutes to think it over. Oh no 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 no! I I don't mean I wasn't pondering this year's team MVP. It's obvious this year's team MVP is is Kipnis. I was just pondering if there had been another like come out of nowhere guy to threaten the team MVP title in the past. And oh I, I was, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to claim to a great memory, but I can't think of anyone. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like Will Cordero. <laughs> uh, well, I guess Cordero. the interesting thing is if there was someone like this and then they dropped back off the face of the earth the next year, do I still remember them? I guess it's possible someone did something vaguely like this, but it well, didn't. I mean, like Mar- Marty Cordova had the one great year and then he kind of – Faded off into oblivion again, but he wasn't thinking of Marty Cordova and not and not and not Will Cordero. Probably I was. I probably yeah, yeah, it, well, Cordova. Yeah, Cordova was in 2001, <laughs> I think, right when they when they lost Manny, and then they brought in yeah. uh, um, Juan Gonzalez for that year and Marty Cordova. They both had pretty good years, <laughs> surprisingly. Right. So so how do how do we talk about all these impactful moves and not get around to Mickey Calloway? I mean that's no, you you have, you have to mention that. off season acquisitions. Come on. There's got I mean, again, hard to prove what he's done and what he hasn't done, but he's gotta at least get a mention in there, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I last night I don't know how they <laughs> picked me, but a radio station in Edmonton called me and asked or emailed me and asked about coming on to do a radio spot. And I, you know, said, sure. And I can't find a recording of it. I don't even know for sure if it aired, I guess, maybe it was lost to the ether in Alberta, but, uh, you know, they sent me some questions and they wanted to talk about Francona and I couldn't help, but end up talking about Callaway for, for almost as much time as Francona, uh, the rotation, the turnaround from last year has been unreal. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it just, 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 just fixing Ubaldo. I, and it's, and again, it's hard to say it. Just like with the manager talk, how much a pitching coach <laughs> has, but there's enough data points where you say, okay, Kazmer was just, you know, fell off the face of the earth, and now he's a relevant pitcher again. Uh, Ubaldo Jimenez is probably gonna get four or five year deal in, in free agent this year. Even um, and Masterson is back. Pretty, you know, better than almost better than ever. I mean, you, they, they can't all be coincidences. Well, I think yeah, they can no, be all be coincidences, you know, but for now, just, but for now, we're going to give Callaway the benefit of the doubt uh, because uh, until we figure out otherwise. I mean, you know, just as with Jan Gomes hitting, we'll see. You know, whether Callaway's magic, you know, lasts you know m- multiple years or not. You know, um, 
I don't I don't know, but I, I think for the moment you've got to look at it give the man his due. Yeah, absolutely. I mean every every single guy who who's made, you know, ten plus starts for the Indians this year has has pretty substantially exceeded my expectations for them this year. I guess Masterson not quite, but but he certainly exceeded what he did last year, uh, and you know, and has bounced back more to his 2011 form. Uh, yeah, I'd give Callaway a, a ton of credit. Um, Jay, I'm surprised. I actually I agree with you. I think Jason Kipnis gets my vote. I'm surprised you think it's uh, as clear cut as you do. Uh, I, I feel like there's been a discussion of a lot of different guys. Um, Ryan, would you would you go with Kipnis too, or do you have an eye for someone else? No, I, I agree. Kipnis is, if you're talking about most valuable player in the strict, you know, in the value sense of the word, absolutely Kipnis has been the best player on the Indians. Um, I, because Ubaldo Jimenez has only done it for one half of the year, um, right. and I don't think anyone else really. I mean, Carlos Santana probably deserves in the picture, uh, and, and Gomes, but he's again, he's he's been a he's most. He's actually been a part-time player for most of the year, so right. I would go with Jason Kipnis. I, th- right, I think well. Masterson is. I think I think Masterson is part of the conversation, and certainly would have been would be a bigger part of the conversation if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, but um, and and I think Santana is definitely part of the conversation, and I think that's basically the whole conversation. I'm not saying that Kipnis is you know miles ahead of Santana, but it, it's. It's it's clear to me, even if it isn't like a route, it's still clear. And partly it's because Kipnis is one of those guys who can beat you in so many different ways. But that is really valuable. You know, I think it's that kind of production out of second base. Uh, it's it's valuable that he's made himself a threat on the base pass, which was not, you know, necessarily part of his portfolio. Um, he's, you know, he's the guy. And you know what? It is, uh, in a way, there's a similarity to Victor Martinez in 2007, who wasn't appearing at the top of leaderboards, but because of his overall role on the team, his all-around team, and being simply the best hitter, simply the best hitter, you know, then, then um, you know, he's the guy, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it, no, it, I agree. might not be quite as good as Santana overall, as, as if we're just looking at hitting. Um, but in any event, I'm just saying, it, it's it's clear to me that, you know, I don't have any problem picking Kipnis. At the same time, I'm not going to have a huge argument over whether it's Kipnis or Santana. You can have Santana. That's fine. Does someone else want to argue? Uh, no. I I, like I said, I, I go with <laughs> Kipnis, too. I, I figured someone else would. But that's fine. We don't we don't need to, to bicker about it. Um, did you, did, I don't know. Did you guys uh, – did you watch the game last night between Texas and Tampa? And whether you watched it or not, did you have – any real preference for who won? Um, I guess the more the game went on, I kind of wished Texas would have won because I, I see more weaknesses in their team right now. Um, but I guess, I mean, the teams are pretty evenly. Obviously, they have the same record. I, 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 and I think Tampa Bay is the better team because they've had the tougher schedule. I guess I'll bring that up. <laughs> and they've, you know, they have the better pitching staff, I think, um, and better, I think, better overall team, just all-around team than, than Texas is right now. Yeah, I felt the same way. That I was think, one of the. I think I, Go for it, Jay. I think Texas. I think Texas has been really flat, 
And I think even when they were winning, they were winning flat. They were winning against a very moribund uh, Los Angeles team that committed eight errors in the last four games. Uh, plus, didn't they play Houston earlier in the week, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that they uh, finished, you know, seemingly strong at the end of September after a really terrible, you know, earlier part of the month, uh, I, I think it was a mirage, and I think they showed it last night. I think that their their playing was like, you know, the idea that someone was going to come off a 50-day suspension and be a boost to the lineup, if you're relying on that, how good of a team can you be? You look at what Tampa Bay was relying on. They were relying on a great starter being a great starter. Well, fortunately, we don't have to face that guy, so that's good. Right. But uh, I, I definitely feel that, you know, t- to the extent that the game – is you know that our odds in the game tomorrow are determined in part by who's the better team right now, you know sort of more the elo you know way way of of rating. Um, I think the better team right now, in my mind, it's kind of clear that it was Tampa Bay, and so yeah, I'd rather be facing Texas. Um, Texas just um, I don't know. You, you hate to put too much stock in concepts like mental toughness. They didn't seem very mentally tough to me. But then again, a month ago I just told you that about the Indians. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest point in all this is it's a one-game playoff, so it's not worth losing much sleep over who you're playing between two teams, uh, you know, unless you're talking about the Astros or someone like that being one of them. But, yeah, I, I would have preferred Texas. Uh, I think Cobb's better than whoever Texas would have thrown at the Indians. And, actually, I, I think a lot yeah. of people think that's, of the Rangers. What's that, Jay? I'm just saying that's, that's the old expression, momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. Yeah, so you exactly. Can almost and and that beyond that, you know, people talk about the lineups, and I think people have this impression of Texas as being much better. But I think that's a perfect example of when you strip out park factors and their opponents. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think when you when you come down to it, I think the lineups are actually pretty even. And if anything, since the All-Star break, Tampa's been hitting better in addition to having the better pitching. So I'd have preferred Texas, but I'll happily have the Indians play anyone in the playoffs. And if, um, and if it comes well, down, to, and if it comes down to tactics, which it, it probably won't, but if it comes down to tactics, you'd obviously much rather be facing the Rangers than, than the Rays. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think Washington has to be doing some things well for the Rangers to have done as well as they have. I, I don't, I don't want to call him a bad manager, but tactics certainly aren't his strength. Uh, and, you know, Madden, right. someone who is much better at that. Well, so this brings us to tomorrow night's game. Um, and I think, you know, talking about momentum is tomorrow night's pitcher. Uh, you know, Danny Salazar is going to be on the mound for the Indians. How do you feel about him him being there? Um, I, I guess he's the guy that, you know, in the, in the rotation. And the good thing is Tampa Bay hasn't seen him before. And that's definitely a plus. So at the very least, maybe maybe what Francona is thinking that, hey, at the very least he'll get through the first through the order the, the first time before they'll catch on to him. You know, basically being like a one pitch or two pitch pitcher, and then because we've been rested, we've had two off days in a row. I can go bullpen the last five innings and Justin right. Matheson for two innings, uh, Shaw. You know, it's a one game playoff, so I can burn out my bullpen and tomorrow's an off day. So it could be more of a staff game than anything, the way the way it might turn out. Right. And here, and, and here I have to drop into game thread mode and just say, I fucking love that Danny Salazar is starting this game tomorrow. So <laughs> go ahead and play. 
you like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I love that they everything Ryan said really. I love that they haven't seen him before. And the only I mean, look, what's the only downside is that you're not sure how deep in the game you want him to pitch. You know, for you know for various reasons, and that doesn't really matter tomorrow. You know, it, it's it doesn't really matter at all. And you know, Tampa Bay. I'm 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 not going to say that they have a weak hitting team, but they don't have a scary lineup. And you know, it's entirely possible that, that they're going to be totally dominated by Salazar. Even just having that possibility out there, you have to be. And I know I'm setting myself up for a disappointment on that, but it's it's exciting that there's the possibility that they're going to look completely helpless against him. You know, that's and that's that is pretty cool. And uh, I'm excited about Masterson being in a relief role, you know, and I think we very well are going to see him tomorrow. And just uh, that I, I get really charged up about that. Uh, and I don't know why I just have some gut level reaction. Maybe it's just, you know, it's the John Smoltz effect, right? It's like, you know, this guy is good enough to be a starter. Odd circumstances have pushed him into a relief role and you just expect him to go out there and smoke people. And that is what yeah. So that's I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I think I'm, 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 I think for one game I'd always prefer the guy with electric stuff who may or may not harness it that game than the guy with you know so so stuff. Um, you know, Zach McAllister's not really a fair comparison, but he's the only guy who sort of fits that bill for the Indians. I mean, Zach McAllister, I would be my last pick of of guys to be out there tomorrow. Uh, you know, like you said, Salazar might dominate them. And, and even if he throws a lot of pitches and only dominates them for four or five innings, uh, you know, Masterson and, you know, the other top relievers all being rested. Uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about it. I, I think the, the Rays are going to have their hands full with him. Well, it's, it's uh, interesting. If you go back, if you go back to 2007, if it's not too painful to do that, and you think about the starting <laughs> pitching performances, you know, we we were we were hit and miss on Westbrook and Bird. If 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 uh, memory serves, Ryan, maybe you remember better than I do. Um, but by and large, we I think did better with them than we did with Sabathia and Carmona. Uh, the you know, as as he was known at the time, and um, that the lesson you know, and we can sort of psychoanalyze Sabathia if we really want to. But I mean, you know, part of the lesson was like you know, those flamethrowers in that case were pretty much gassed at that point in the season and that, you know, if, if you had to come up with the one simple explanation, that would be it. And, you know, the other guys, strangely, were, were not really gassed. The interesting thing, we're talking about Salazar and Masterson that potentially have the stuff to dominate. They're not going to be gassed. They're, like they have not thrown 240 or 220 innings at all, you know? So, you know, you hope that there's a chance we're going to have the best of both worlds uh, in this go around. But, uh, I don't know. It's, that one game playoff, it's you know the the interesting thing is, in a way we should feel the tension as if this was game five of a five game series, and you know, right. yet it doesn't feel like that because it's like the reality of even being in the playoffs, you know, doesn't even was not even going to set in until for me at least until that game is already over. You know, like it's well, I don't know it'll probably set in around the first inning now that I think about it, but uh, and I'll be like jumping off the walls and stuff. Um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I think for me, it'll set in the first time the Rays get a guy on second base. It'll feel pretty real to me. Oh, yeah, like I'll, be, be, pa- I'll be pacing from the first pitch. Yeah. You'll be pacing before the first pitch? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get in my two oh. miles t- uh, tomorrow night. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I yesterday at, at Let's Go Tribe tried to help people organize meetups. I put that post up where people could just, you know, hey, let's meet at this bar in this city. Uh, and so then people were talking about places to meet up in Chicago. And at some point I had to drop in and say, like, yeah, I think I'm probably watching from home because – I'm worried about losing my mind. What's your what, what's your viewing plan for tomorrow night, guys? Well, um, yeah, I'll be. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. Oh, let's see. I'm 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 feeling a little I'm feeling a little under the weather. So while I might have ventured out, or I might have, you know, my brother lives an hour away near New Brunswick, uh, so I might have uh, tried to hang out with him. But being a little under the weather, I might just stay close to home. But the other thing is, even if I'm not under the weather, I don't want to get all corny on you guys, but. I always felt to an extent that, like, getting together with people to watch the game is really cool, but who are my friends that I watch the game with? They're on Let's Go Tribe. They're in that game thread. You know, like, that's there. there is nobody that I would rather be spending the game with than, than hanging out in the game thread, virtual or not. It's still, that, that's, you know, even obviously I've been around a lot less this year than other years, but, I mean, that's why you see all of the old school guys, you know, coming home to Let's Go Tribe. That's our home for watching Indians games. That's our home for being Indians fans, and has been for years. So, um, I, you know, I, I can't say that I would feel bad about staying home and not, quote, unquote, watching it with someone. I'm going to be watching it with, like, a few hundred people if I'm home. Right. So that's a good way to that, look at it. And that's great for me. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the yeah. same part. I mean, it, it's nice, you know, going over and watching it with, with you know, friend's house or, or you go to a bar or something but i don't know not but i i, I kind of get nervous rex when it comes to the these types of games <laughs> and i'd rather be a nervous wreck with some people that doesn't mind if i shout insane things on the internet than if i shout insane things <laughs> in real life so <laughs> so yeah, yeah i like that at home, at home with 200 friends <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, for me, I like that that setup allows that, especially if the game's going well, you know, I can share in the excitement with everyone and crack jokes and all that. But I also have the freedom if it goes really badly. I could commit exactly. with people. But I, could, I could also just go into, like, quietly stewing on the couch by myself without weirding out the guy in the stool next to me. You know, I, I think you guys probably had a little different experience. I don't, I don't, outside of Let's Go Tribe, I literally don't know any Indians fans like you know I grew up in Chicago and came to my Indians fandom pretty randomly when I was six um so pretty much my entire life it's been like a solo experience and so I'm used to watch you know 95 through you know 2001 I watched all of those playoff games almost all of them you know by myself uh so it's been interesting for me you know and I'm also much newer to Let's Go Tribe than you guys um so this has really been the first season when I've had a ton of interaction with other Indians fans. So I, I haven't experienced the playoffs like that yet. So I guess I'll find you're out not, how I like it. You're not used to having friends, what you're saying. That's okay. Yeah. I grew up in downtown Cleveland, but, but, but never no, made I, friends. I, I have ex- – I, I have experienced what you're talking about only in that, you know, all of – you know, from 95 to 05 – you know, there really there wasn't a Let's Go Tribe. I mean, there you know technically Let's Go Tribe was started in early '05, but I didn't discover it to- until towards the end of the season, which was right after Ryan started doing it. And uh, uh, so, 
that whole time, you know, I was in Philadelphia and I barely knew any other Indians fans. And there really was, you know, there wasn't that much of a developed internet. There was no social media. Um, right. So, you know, it, it, I, I definitely remember what you're talking about in terms of just being totally isolated. You know, what I had was, you know, was my email list of like a dozen, you know, family and friends that we would complain about, you know, Cleveland sports on. That like to right. like, to me, that was my precursor to let's go try. But, um, you know, especially at this point, I mean, even by 07, but by now, even six years later, it's much more so. It's not just that, like, the, the familiar people. There, there are people that I think of as friendly faces in the bar, basically, from Let's Go Tribe, like dozens if not hundreds of different people. But even beyond that, if I'm in that game thread tomorrow night, um, you know, there's going to be maybe as many as a dozen people that I now know off of Let's Go Tribe that I have yeah. uh, relationships with you know that I've, I've met them and hung out with them in real life that I am friends with them on Facebook and we argue about things on Facebook that we're not allowed to argue about on let's go tribe and you know that I've you know that I've collaborated with on books and like and all there's all these relationships that have grown way beyond just the site so it's like it really is like you know going to the corner bar and sitting you know, not just being in a room full of friendly familiar people but also sitting at a table with quite a few pretty good friends um and so it's yeah I don't know. We're getting all mushed here. Nobody, no, nobody wants to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and then for forty-five minutes, they reminisce. Um, by, the, by the way, I, I want you to know what you've accomplished here. This is the longest conversation Ryan and I have ever had. We, this is the, we, we, and I do not speak. In fact, for a while, we deliberately didn't speak. It was part of our mystique. We only emailed. So this is exactly. the longest. It works exactly. out that way, right? <laughs> this is a more successful version of when I tried to get my parents back together. <laughs> um, well, thank you both for joining me. If, if if the Indians win tomorrow night, I'd sort of like to keep the podcast in the family uh, for as long as this, the, the Indians are still playing. And uh, while I'm happy to reach out to the other guys, too, if if we're still talking about current Indians action next week. I'd love to have one or both of you join me for at least part of the show again. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Either of you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Wow. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to repeat what I said in the thread a couple of days ago while Ryan thinks of something. The, um, uh, I, I, just, I just don't want, you know, because – I've said it before, tomorrow is basically a coin flip, and you hate to say that, but the Rays are a good team, too. They're a deserving team, too. Our team's got heart and guts and grit and whatever else you want to say, but they, you know, they've got those things in no short supply. My hope is that is that Indians fans don't take for granted um, how great this team has been already, what they've already accomplished, and how incredibly improbable it was, and that if you think that these things say something about character, then these these Cleveland Indians have already shown tremendous character. And if you think that these things say something about talent, they've shown great talent as well. So I, I hope that whatever happens in tomorrow's one-game series or the short series that will follow it, um, don't take for granted the gift we've already been given, this ridiculous, whether you want it, you know, the 15-2 and two run, which, by the way, started when Kelly Shopik entered the game. Um <laughs> Or, or, you, or you, if you just want to look at it as 10 victories in a row to clinch on the final day, we're not going to see it again. And I, I hope that whatever the Indians do from here on out, that it's, it's appreciated what they've already accomplished. That's that's my final yeah, thought. You're here. Well said. Yeah, just, 
Just just to echo on that, I mean, just the realization of what has happened in the span of one year. One year ago, you know, we were deciding whether Sandy Alomar was going to be the next manager of the Cleveland Indians. Their Manny Acton was fired. We had no idea at this time. At this at this time, we didn't know Terry Francona was even interested in the Indians, and he just kind of dropped out of the sky. And then, you know, just thinking back to last August and how dreadful it was having to write uh, about that team every every day and how bad they looked and how everyone hated hated that team and to get to now when i mean none i mean none of us are actually in the cleveland area but i guess i'm the closest but it's amazing how quickly the fans and and the, the community has re-embraced this team and, and it all happened in the span of in the span of a year and you know, and you'd hope that they would build on that. And things never happen in, in in a linear fashion; they always go in peaks and valleys. But you would hope that this season, what however it ends, that it begins the renaissance of at least some relevance you know, for Indians baseball in Cleveland again. And that's 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 a that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I absolutely. All right, hey, Jason. Well, thank you both for joining me. And, Jason, uh, can I speak thought here? Yeah, go for it. I just, I just want to say real quick, as sort of the uh, the guy who's been on something of a leave of absence, uh, I am really impressed and, and really proud and want to thank uh, you two for what you've accomplished on the site this year and for, you know, that in this has been such a great year to have the site be, you know, having such a surge in, uh, in, in how much quality content there is, and you guys have done an amazing job. And I want to tell you with all sincerity, as a fan, it's it's been amazing to have the site be as great as it's been the last year. And as someone who's been involved in the site in the past, I want you to know I have never been more proud of Let's Go Tribe. And it's great knowing that when I have time to come back and do some writing, that there's going to be a great site for me to come back to. So take a bow, guys, and thank you. On behalf hey, of everyone, thank that. you. Thank you. Okay, All right, guys, no. I will right. see you both in the game thread with our hundreds of friends tomorrow night. See you there. All right. That was Ryan Richards and <laughs> Jay Levine. Sorry, I'm not used to having to say two guys. Ryan Richards and Jay Levine, uh, you know, two of the, the icons of Let's Go Tribe. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and to them and to anyone listening, uh, I'd like to say, I certainly hope, uh, I don't want this to sound like this is going to be the last podcast of the season, uh, but there's certainly, a, there's basically a 50-50 chance this is uh, the last time we're talking during the season. And I know a decent number of you will, will move on to, to the Browns or the Cavs or whatever your other interests are. Um, so... I just like to say what a blast it's been for me. And as I was saying, you know, I grew up without Indians fan friends or family members, and it was sort of a solo thing. Um, and so I've had a, so much fun this year. It's been such a different experience. Uh, and, you know, being able to drop into game threads and, and, and write the things I've written in the comments and read other people's work. Uh, I mean, Let's Go Tribe is maybe the best thing that's ever happened to my Indians fandom. Uh, and that's, you know, not just Ryan and Jay, but – you know, the guys who, who have written for the site and the thousands of people who, who read and comment, um, it's been great. 
Uh, and hopefully we'll talk again next week. And if we do, I promise not to repeat this whole spiel. You can just carry it over to Ben. Uh, it's been an incredible season. And like Jay was saying, we should all appreciate how, how fun this team has been. Um, and hopefully we get a win Wednesday night. And either way, I'll talk to you next week.